All right, Psalms chapter 40 again this evening. Psalms chapter 40, I'm going to start reading at verse 6. And I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. My iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, tearing, O my God. So tell the message tonight, simply delight to do his will. Delight to do his will. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to assemble together and to open thy precious word. And I pray as we look into the word of God tonight that you would just encourage us, strengthen us, and, and be glorified uh, again uh, in your church uh, for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verses 6, six 7, and 8 particularly are a prophecy uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. It is quoted, some of it is quoted in Hebrews 10. Uh, where it says, Sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire. And of course, then verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written to me, I delight to do thy will, O God. Of course, in Hebrews, it adds something. It, it adds, But a body hast thou prepared me. But anyway, as we consider this tonight. First of all, uh, I got three points. A delightful, a delight of the heart, a deliverance expected, and a desolation escaped. So a delight of the heart. In verses 6 through 10, he talks about, uh, in verse 7, I delight to do thy will, O God. A delight is something that brings great pleasure or joy. And I want to notice several things here about this. First of all, there's, he has no delight, there's no pleasure in sacrifice and offering. Uh, if you notice in verse 6, sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire... Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sit offering hast thou not required. Of course, this is speaking particularly concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. But 
You know, as we think about sacrifice and offerings, there's something that costs you something, particularly a sacrifice. You can give an offering out of your abundance, but it's still, you know, something that you give. You give. Uh, you know, it, it may it may cost you something. It may require hardship. Uh, displeasure it may take you out of your comfort zone. Uh, it may may cost you or bring the hardship of, of doing without what the rest of society enjoys. You know, those are all those are all things. But if there is no delight in that sacrifice that we make, if we don't do it out of a pleasure to please the Lord, it can become a source of resentment and bitterness. Um, and that's really the way that the children of Israel remember. In uh, Malachi chapter th- 1, in verses 6 through 8, the prophet Malachi prophesied against the priests, and he said, in Malachi 1, 6, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests? that desire my name, and ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye have offered polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or, will the, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? So, you know, the, the offerings of the Lord had become burdensome. or They were no longer a delight to the children of Israel. They were still bringing stuff. They were still sacrificing, but it had become a burden to them. They didn't want to do it anymore, so they'd bring whatever junk they had. They'd cheapened it. And, and of course, this charge is to the priests because the priests were the ones who were supposed to inspect the sacrifices and if a, if a person brought a sacrifice, let's say a lamb, that was blind, he was to reject it. See, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't qualify for what God asks. That's not an acceptable offering to the Lord. So, so the priests were responsible. They were the guardians of the temple to say that's not acceptable. You know, so like pastors are the guardian the bishop, that's really what the bishop, word bishop means, guardian, of the church. And, and they need to guard the church. Uh, but here, here they weren't guarding. They weren't saying, you know, that was not acceptable. And, 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 and so the offerings of the Lord, because they were in a difficult time, the offerings of the Lord had become burdensome to them and difficult, so it made a... a, a, a source of resentment and, and, and bitterness. You're sort of like Israel in the wilderness. They became bitter, bitter and resentful and, and about their conditions instead of, instead of seeing that God would provide, their, as God had promised to provide their need, you know, and they, they became burdened with it until they all died. You know, they failed their relationship to trust the Lord. You know, and really, in reality, what they were doing was saying God's a failure. God's will is just a burden to bear. 
they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to, they hadn't wanted to leave the comforts and the temporal pleasures in Egypt. And, uh, you know, so like so many want to serve God, but on my terms in our world today. And pastors do it too. They don't guard the, the church house as, as the uh, priest didn't there. No, uh, there was, he said, I have no delight in sacrifice and offerings. No, what a delight's in is giving oneself. You notice verse 80 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. See, even the Old Testament sacrifices were heart issues. The reason they brought the lame and the blind because their heart was not right with God. If their heart would have been right with God, if they'd had an inward desire to please God, they would have never brought the junk to offer it to God. I know this sounds terrible to say, but it's true. That, and, and it, and it's not true here. You know, we, I haven't seen it here. Well, I have seen it in the past some here. But anyway, um, sometimes, you know, people bring to the church the things they don't want and thinking the church can use it. You know, stuff that's outdated or it's in bad shape or, you know, and it's really it's just take it to the dump. <laughs> that's what I want to say. Just take it to the dump. We have hauled some of it to the dump. You know, I'm glad Brother Hoyle's like me. If we don't use it, pitch it. If it's not any good, pitch it. I don't care who gave it, pitch it. <laughs> uh, no, there should be an inward delight. Notice he says there, thy law was in his heart, within my heart. There was a delight, an enjoyment, a great pleasure in doing the will of the Father. You see, doing the will of the Father should be an outflow of a changed heart. A changed heart. Paul said in Romans 7.22, For I delight in the law of God after the enemy. You know, we always battle with the flesh. You're always going to have a battle with the flesh. But if you're born again in the Spirit of God, that inward man should delight to do the law of God. Uh, Romans 12.1 says, that uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's a referring to like a, a, a living, a live, lively or vibrant or delightful sacrifice. One that willingly sacrifices. Doesn't consider it a sacrifice. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, when, when, when the Spirit of God takes residence in your life through the new birth, he's going to work in you a desire to do the will of God. And as you put more of the word of God in your life, more of it's going to work itself out. It's just automatic. 
You know, Jeremiah said, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. In other words, the word of God he had put in, he'd put so much of it in that it was going to come out. It was like he was trying to suppress coming out, because it just automatically would. See, God works it in. And, And he says here, he delights. He delights in declaring the righteousness of God. Notice verses 9 and 10. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. And again, I believe this is a reference, a prophecy concerning Christ. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within mine heart. In other words, I'm not kept it myself. I've declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. I have, you know, I have had compassion on the poor and the lame, and the blind, and you know, he, he had compassion on, on the down and out, and, and, and he, he preached it, and he expressed it. He declared the righteousness of God. You know, God's ways are always right. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all, all his ways are judgment. A God of truth without iniquity, just and right is he. Uh, Hosea 14.9, Who is wise, and he shall understand these things, prudent, and he shall know them, for the ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but transgressors shall fall therein. You know, if his ways are right, and we are to walk in him, is it right for us to murmur and complain? You look at 1 Samuel chapter 12. When, when Israel came to Samuel and asked for a king, and God told Samuel, yeah, you give him a king. You go ahead and give him a king. They've not rejected me, or thee, but they've rejected me. And so you go ahead and give him the king. And... Uh, Verse 16, oh, I'm sorry, verse 7. It says, so, so he, 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 he gives him a king, but, then, but notice what he says to him. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was come into Egypt, and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of the land of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, in the hand of the Philistines, in the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried in the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtra. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelled safe. And when you saw that Naash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king, now therefore behold the king whom ye have chosen and whom ye have desired, and behold the Lord hath set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? 
I will send the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, and that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking you a king. So Samuel called on the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us our king. So, you know, Israel went through their times of peril. But notice he says to them in verse 7, Now, I'm going to reason to you of all the righteous acts. In other words, it was a righteous act that God brought Moab against Israel. It was a righteous act that the Philistines came against Israel because of their sin. Yeah, God did these things to correct their ways. And so even in the wheat harvest, he sent thunder and rain to let them know that they had sinned against the Lord. You know, we ought to delight in declaring the righteous acts, righteousness of God. Part of that is the judgment of God. Remember Elijah? What did Elijah pray for? He prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years. That was a righteous act of God. Because of Israel's sin against God. And so we ought to delight in declaring the righteousness of God. Spurgeon said, we learn from this verse that Jehovah values far more the obedience of the heart than all the imposing performances of ritualistic worship. You know, all through those times, they worshipped in some form. Just as they were worshipping in some form in Malachi. They were still bringing sacrifices. But they were corrupted. They were not what God asked they were not what God required. Cain brought a sacrifice, an offering, but it was not what God required. It didn't meet the standard. And so God, what God delights in is giving of oneself, one's heart, to the Lord. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And that word issues there means the heart is the fountain. It is the source of your thinking, of your feelings, good or bad. Joy, bitterness, you know, uh, or hate, you know, or whatever it is. Jesus, you know, and we know that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You know, he delighted to do his Father's will even in the difficulties. And so he says, I don't, I'm not, I don't take pleasure in sacrifice and offering. What I'm looking for is a heart, a delight in giving oneself. And so there needs to be a delight of the heart. Secondly, with a delight of the heart, there's a deliverance that's expected. In verses 11 through 15, he says, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. My iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than hairs of mine head. 
therefore my heart faileth me. Now, there's several things here. First of all, there's a, there's a preservation that's expected in verse 11. He says, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. In verse 10, he had declared God's faithfulness. He had declared God's loving kindness. He had declared God's truth in the great congregation. And now he's expecting God to do what he promised and what he had declared to him. See, what he had proclaimed of the righteousness of God, he fully expected to receive of God. He declared the faithfulness of God and expected to experience it in his own time of need. He says, withhold not thy tender mercies. Withhold not thy loving kindnesses. Withhold not thy truth. You know, in times of trials and tests and hardships that we pass through in the will of God, we pass through them in the will of God, we can expect God to keep his promises in those difficult times. You know, Matthew 14, after, I think it was the feeding of the four or the five thousand, Jesus sent the disciples away. He constrained them to get into a ship and sail to the other side. And he went up in the mountain to pray. But where he sent them, there's a storm. On the sea. The sea of Galilee can be pretty rough. And it's known for its sudden storms. And they were fearing for their lives. But they were where he sent them. And then he comes walking to them on the water. You know, just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean there's gonna, not going to be difficulties. Children of Israel were in the will of God. They were where God sent them. They were encamped in front of the Red Sea and the Egyptians behind them. That's where God sent them. But we, can, we need to learn to, to trust that where God sends us, he will, also, he will also bring deliverance when we need it. Now, did it look like they were going to be delivered? No. By all human standards, they were sitting ducks for the Egyptian army. But see, God was, God was working to get them to trust him even in, diff, in times like that. And that's what, that's what, you know, God wants to work in our lives to, to bring us to a place of complete trust. In 1 Kings 8.56, Solomon, after he dedicated the temple, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. See, God will keep his promises. Psalm 105, 42 says, For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. He made that promise to Abraham a long time ago. But he would keep that promise. You know, in Luke 24, 49, Jesus told the disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be dued with power on high. In Acts 2.32, 
Peter spoke of it. He says, therefore, being at the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, you know, my Father has promised to send you the Holy Ghost. Just wait. Just wait until you be endued with power. And he did. Of course, Jesus himself was the promised seed in Acts 13, 23 of this man's seed, speaking of David, hath God according to his promise raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. You know, we need to be like Abraham. You know, in Romans 4, 20, it says of him, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. You see, we... we we declare, you know, we ought to declare God's righteousness and God's judgments, His loving kindness, His faithfulness of His salvation and all these things. But we need to trust those promises as well in times of difficulty and struggle. So there's a, there's a, a um, preservation expected, but there is persecution that's endured. If you notice in verse 12, he says, so in the midst of this, he's, he's claiming the promise of God in the midst of innumerable evils have compassed me about. So the persecution, you know, and, and you know, uh, some think possibly he's still speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ here, but David went through innumerable evils as well. But, but think about uh, the innumerable evils that surround, surrounded the Lord. Look at uh, Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verses 12 and 13. Psalm 22, 12 and 13. The Messianic Psalm. Uh, says, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. You know, can you picture the crowd on the day that Jesus was crucified, you know, chanting, crucify him, crucify him, and 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 then and, and hollering up, you know, he 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 trusted uh, uh he trusted God to deliver him. Let's see if he'll come down and deliver him. And even the the, the two that were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. He was compassed, he was surrounded with evil. We live in a world where we're surrounded with evil. It's all around us. It's everywhere and very accessible. It can easily ruin your life. If you seek satisfaction from things in the world, it will ruin you. It will ruin you. You know, we need the protection and the wisdom of God to keep us from ruin. That's why the Proverbs 4.23 says... Keep thy heart with all diligence. Now, you may think you're smart. You won't go so far that it will hurt you. But notice here in verse 12 it says, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. 
what's it, wine, wine and whoredom. I think it's how Isaiah says, take away the heart. You know, iniquity takes hold. The, the guilt of iniquity holds you down. It holds you down. That you're not able to look up. Again, there's an application here to Jesus on the cross. He, be, you know, he became sin for us. The guilt of our sin was all put upon him. It was a, such a, the weight of iniquity, it took his life. You know, the weight and guilt of sin greatly hindered David. Nearly destroyed him. It brought ruin to Solomon. It divided his kingdom. Although it wasn't divided in his day, but when his son took over the throne, it just divided immediately because of Solomon's sin. So there is a persecution that's being endured. You know, we are surrounded, we are encompassed with evil. But, you know, it pleases the Lord to deliver his own. Notice verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. It pleases the Lord to deliver his own. You know, to the world, we may look weak, helpless, and no account. And the world says there's no real answers, no real life-changing answers to the issues of life. The problem is they just don't know the power of our God. They don't know. They don't know the power of the living word. You know, it reminds me of what Hezekiah said to his people when Sennacherib was sitting outside the fence, outside the gates of the city. He said, with him is the armor of the flesh. With us is the power of God. And to Sennacherib, Israel looked like an easily defeated but Sennacherib was the one that ran off with his tail between his legs because he forgot that there's a God that rules in the affairs of men he forgot Psalm 50 verse 15 where it says and call upon me in the day of trouble I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. He forgot that the, the nation of Israel Hezekiah had led the nation of Israel the nation of Judah to call upon the Lord and he delivered them. Psalm 91 15 says he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Now it doesn't say he won't ever get in trouble. He said I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. You know, Joseph got into trouble. But the Lord was always with him. Now, his, he didn't cause the trouble. You, know, you can get in trouble without causing trouble. I mean, you can, just, you can get in trouble for just living the Christian life. In this world, you can get in great trouble for just living the Christian life. If you don't believe it, just go to Iran and start preaching the gospel on the street. See if you get in trouble. 
or go to some places even in this country and start doing it. But he said, I will deliver him, and I will honor him. You know, many of the princes of Judah were saying to, to Jeremiah, about Jeremiah, let's kill this traitor. He's weakening the hands of the people. You know, Jeremiah had been prophesying. He said, God is going to judge you. Surrender to the Chaldeans that you may live. Because he's going to take this city. I'm telling you, he's going to take this city. He told King Zedekiah, surrender, go out to the king of the Chaldeans. He will treat you well because he's going to take this city. If not, there's going to be judgment. And he wanted to do it, but he was afraid of the princes. And because he didn't do it, he got his, all his sons were slain, and he got his eyes gouged out. But see, they said, to, they, said to, they said to the king, let's get rid of this Jeremiah. He's a traitor. He's weakening the hands of the Jews. But the Lord said this about Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, 20. I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall. They shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee, to deliver thee, saith the Lord. You notice how many these are there? And thee is singular. It's you, Jeremiah. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you. Though they fight against you. The whole nation was against him. But he said, I will deliver thee. I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked. I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. I'm going to deliver thee. How many times was Paul delivered out of the hands of the Jews? In 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10, he said, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. You know, he, he's saying, what he's saying there is, we, were, we had a sentence of death, and God was bringing us to place so that we wouldn't, would learn not to trust in ourselves but just to commit our souls into the hands of him that doeth all things well. So we, we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Second Corinthians, or Second Timothy 4, 17. Again, he says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You know, we're not facing that kind of persecution here yet. But they are in some parts of the world. But there's other things that we face. You all know the world thinks you're just a little bit odd. The rest of the nation thinks we're a little bit odd. You know, Mrs. Pence takes a job teaching in a Christian school, and that's just awful. That has some standards. That's just awful. Vice president's wife teaching in a Christian school. So? So there's a deliverance expected. And there's a, thirdly, there's a desolation that's escaped. Notice verse 15. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha! Aha, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. 
Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh thou upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, tearing, O my God. You know, Proverbs 3, 25 and 26 says this, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. You know, it looked like it looked like David was going to be brought to destruction with his sin. But he was not. Of course, I think the key to David's deliverance was David said this, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, The Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. And then David wrote, Blessed is the man who, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. But it looked like David was going to be brought to destruction. You know, it looked like, it looked like Jesus was brought to an end. I mean, the disciples were left all bewildered and wondering, now what? You know, the, the, the two on the road to Manassas who were speaking to the resurrected Jesus said, we thought it should be he that will redeem Israel. They thought all hope was lost. They thought he had been brought to destruction. But the funny thing is, in fact, Spurgeon says this. He said, quote, It is even so, the hosts of darkness are utterly put to the rout and made a theme for holy derision forever and ever. How did they gloat over the thought of crushing the seed of the woman? But the crucified has conquered. The Nazarene has laughed in the scorn. The dying son of man has become the death of death and hell's destruction. Forever blessed be his name. Unquote. See, it appeared that, that Jesus was destroyed. He was brought to an end. They sealed the tomb. You know, that deceiver said, he's going to rise. So we seal the tomb. That'll be the end of this. Now, you know, I really think the devil thought it was all over. The Pharisees did. The devil's children did. But he came forth from the grave, you see. And now, it's them that are ashamed and confounded. It's them that are driven back. It's them that have been put to shame. Them that have wished me evil. Them, they are the ones that are going to be desolate and brought to destruction. But we who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ will be kept from 
that desolation and destruction that is to come. Because we've delighted in Him. We surrendered our will, our heart to Him. We delighted to to do His God. We've preached the righteousness of God in the great congregation and we've expected, and we can expect, because we put our trust in Him, we can expect with assurance that the deliverance from the desolation to come will be brought to pass. It's a promise of God. You know, we may be poor and needy, as the psalmist said here in verse 17. He said, I'm poor and needy. I'm nobody. You know, he was just a shepherd boy. He was the youngest in the house. He was the least likely to be king. You know, Samuel looked at the oldest and said, oh, surely this one, surely this one. No, 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 no. And then they bring in this youngster who's ruddy in appearance. said he's the one he said I'm poor and needy yet the Lord thinketh upon me it's good to know that God thinks on us he knows he knows to trust you know he cried out here that the Lord would would remember his loving kindness and truth and he does In our times of trials, he thinks on us. His thoughts are toward us who believe. And so we can expect. There is a deliverance that is expected. And we will escape the desolation to come. Oh, how we ought to delight to do his will. Trusting his promises. Trusting that he will fulfill his promises which are to usward, who believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we receive from it. Father, though we see evil seemingly triumphing in the world, yet we know that your, your word will come to pass. You will keep your promises. Help us just to rest and trust in those promises give evidence to it by being faithful by continually preaching the truth of thy word proclaiming your righteous judgments and your loving kindness to man in his need of a savior so just help us to be faithful and we'll thank you and praise you we pray in Jesus name